All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into Good Ranchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick in order to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Well, we are doing a special episode because the Dobbs decision has just landed a couple hours ago and they have overturned Roe v. Wade. And as you can imagine, this has a lot of people excited, either angry or happy. And I'll tell you right now, at this table, we think it was a great decision. We think it was a great decision for legal reasons, which we can, we're happy to explain. And we think it was a great decision for moral reasons as well. But we're going to go into some of the details, some of the responses that we're seeing both from left and right to the overturning of Roe. And we're going to explain what it actually means for people across the country. All that and more coming up on this episode of Making the Argument. As Nick said, thanks for joining us on this episode. Today, we are addressing this special news about Roe v. Wade and the overturning of Dobbs. If you walk away from listening to this episode with new information that you can use in conversations with friends or family, I hope you'll drop us a comment letting us know on YouTube and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. All right, as always, I am your host, Nick Freitas, member of the Virginia House of Delegates, but other than that, a good person. With us, my beautiful wife, Tina, Queen of the Bees. Hello, everyone. Our resident historian, political prognosticator, analyst of analysts, Christian Hines. What a time to be alive. I know, true. right? Yeah. Wow, and that is true on so many levels right now. There's going to be a lot more people that get to say that because of this decision. What a great day. And then, of course, we have our producer of producers, Nicholas Hamilton, the good Hamilton, the one that doesn't like central banking. Thank you. All right, so let's get right into this. Um, what does this mean? And I, I want to start with the original decision of uh, Roe v. Wade, because when you look at how the court decided this originally, there was a lot of people that just assumed that because the Supreme Court you know, codified this, all of a sudden it's a constitutionally protected right. And if you look at the actual decision in Roe, here's what you find. They didn't really reference anything in the Constitution. I mean, some of the language that they used to justify Roe was, was so absurd that even pro-abortion uh, legal scholars admitted that this, this was a really poorly decided decision. You really can't find any justification within the Constitution. Uh, but they, they tried to declare this kind of generalized right of privacy. And okay, if you have a right to privacy, then yeah, the government shouldn't be able to interfere in your medical decisions. And so therefore, you have a right to abortion. And a lot of people justifiably argued that, okay, well, this is kind of absurd. This is like you you drew out of the Constitution what you wanted it to say instead of what it actually says. And essentially what you did was you took away the democratic process for this. And this is what's fascinating because, again, we're always hearing our people, you know, our friends on the left, talk about how important democracy is until they want a particular decision and they don't want to have to go through the onerous, difficult democratic process in order to determine whether or not the people really want it. So before Roe was ever decided, the Supreme Court pretty much looked at this as something that the United States Constitution didn't address. Therefore, right, your 10th Amendment kicks in, your 9th Amendment kicks in, and this becomes an issue 
for the states to decide through the due process laws at, at the state level. And some states were pretty wide open on abortion, and some states were pretty restrictive on abortion. It wasn't until 73 when Roe came down that the Supreme Court now just decided that, you know what, we're going to take this completely out of the democratic process, and we're just going to declare that you have a right to abortion. And again, when people said, okay, well, abortion is abortion and anything like it is not even mentioned in the Constitution, how could you come to this conclusion? They said, well, it's, it falls under this, this broad interpretation of the right to privacy. And a lot of people pointed out, well, that's kind of absurd, right? My right to privacy doesn't extend to how I interact with other people in the sense that if I punch somebody else, I don't get to say, well, well, you know, I have a right to privacy or I have a right to use my body the way I want to use it. We all acknowledge that my right to swing, as one Supreme Court justice put it, my right to swing my fist is limited by the proximity of somebody else's face. And to suggest that abortion is just one more medical procedure, to suggest that abortion is not, ending the existence of another living human entity is factually incorrect. And so the, the thing that you need to understand is that for everybody that's screaming about this was a constitutionally protected right, this was not a protected right in the sense that the Constitution was clear about this or that the, the people that wrote the Constitution understand that this was a natural or what we call an inherent right that we were merely enshrining protections for in the Constitution. This was a legal code that was designed to protect something that the Supreme Court wanted that had no basis within the Constitution. And, and, and I want to read something off because I tweeted this out earlier today, and, and I think this, is, this kind of sums up the point I'm trying to make right now. And that is, you can no more have a natural or inherent right to strip away the humanity of a child in the womb than you can a right to own another human being. Society can create for itself unjust legal codes to permit such atrocities, but to call them rights is to misunderstand the term. So the most important thing you need to understand originally about what Roe was, Roe was a horrible legal decision that didn't recognize a pre-existing right. It created one out of whole cloth and then assigned really tortured reasoning through the Constitution in order to justify it. That's what got overturned today. That's what got overturned today. So everyone's saying that, oh, the Supreme Court threw out your constitutionally protected right to abortion. Garbage. What it overturned was a really, really bad decision. And what's interesting is they even, in, in the um, uh, opinion on this, they even bring up other really bad Supreme Court decisions, things like Plessy versus Ferguson. You know, the whole separate but equal. I believe it was one of, I can't remember which justice, um, because multiple justices, usually the way that this works is, is that you've got an opinion that a majority agrees with, yeah. right? But then individual justices are more than welcome to write their own opinion, consenting or dissenting, right? Adding more context to it. Yeah. I can't remember which justice included it, but one of the justices also even cited Dred Scott, yeah. of all things. I've actually got a line from the ruling itself. For those of you who, who actually want to follow along with me, this is on page five of the 213-page long document that contains all of the um, uh, the majority opinion, the dissenting opinion, all the concurring opinions, and and the appendix. Is there a way to include this uh, um, in the? Yeah, we could include we could include okay. a link in this in the yeah. description. Good. Yeah. Um, so this is a direct quote from Alito's opinion. Um, uh, when he's talking about the nature of the court's error, like the infamous decision in Plessy versus Ferguson, as you were hinting at, Roe was also egregiously wrong and on a collision course with the Constitution from the day it was decided. Casey, which is the other 
um, ruling that came along in conjunction with Roe many years later, Casey perpetuated its errors, calling both sides of the national controversy to resolve their debate. But in doing so, Casey um, um, necessarily declared a winning side. Those on the losing side, those who sought to advance the state's interest in fetal life, could no longer seek to persuade their elected representatives to adopt policies consistent with their views. The court short-circuited the democratic process by closing it to the large number of number of Americans who disagreed with Roe. Um, in short, this ruling does not, I've heard so many people say this outlaws abortion. Yeah, no, it This doesn't. does not do this. Yeah. What this does is it returns it to the same process that we had before 1973, which is the individual 50 states now have the ability to, through their elected officials, decide what they want to do when it comes to protecting or not protecting innocent human life in the womb. There's many states out there, New York, Illinois, California, that have decided through their elected democratic process that they wanted to enshrine abortion rights into their constitution. And there, and then there's other states, Mississippi, Texas, Arkansas, that have decided that they want to protect innocent human life. I'm on the side of protecting innocent human life. <laughs> yeah. But but the, the fact is, is that this, this ruling does not outlaw abortion. All this ruling does is return this process back to the way that it should have been all along. Well, again, I, I think that's an important note. Because, like you said, there's so much misinformation going around right now on, on what overturning Roe actually does. And that's why I let in with the whole idea of, okay, what, what did Roe actually decide and what was the intellectual justification or the constitutional justification for it? And then what happens now? Well, there's some states that enshrined in their state laws that said if Roe v. Wade is ever overturned and this goes back to the states, then this is what the law will be. So that's now going to go into effect. But again, the, the same people screaming about protecting democracy. Okay, well, democratic processes on stuff like this means you let the states decide. It, do, it doesn't mean unelected judges will now create a law out of whole cloth, right? And, and they didn't create a law of whole cloth. They simply recognized that, no, the Constitution doesn't explicitly state that there's federal jurisdiction over this issue with the way it was decided in Roe. Now, I would make the argument that the same people that said we needed a 13th and 14th Amendment to the Constitution to abolish slavery... Because in the original writing of the Constitution, slavery was permitted at the state level. And I think a lot of people justifiably said, not only is that immoral, but it's so immoral that we need to change our Constitution in order to reflect that if that's the sort of institution that you want to have, then you can't be a part of the United States. And so there, there's people now that are looking at it going, well, look, if, if we can all acknowledge that you shouldn't be able to enslave another human being, why shouldn't we be able to acknowledge that it, it is wrong to you know, kill another human being. Yeah. But in order to go through that process, you're, you're probably going to need another constitutional amendment. Um, and, and again, the same people that were screaming about democracy and our institutions and the preservation of those institutions. And that's why Trump's being impeached because he didn't, he didn't respect the process. Those same people now went from respect the court to pack the court to abolish the court wow. when they didn't get what they wanted. Some of them are going to go to violence. Oh, yeah. The, no, oh. some have already have. James Revenge already has. I saw a tweet just, just a few minutes ago from someone saying, burn down the Supreme Court. I'm sure those same people, if you go back in their tweet history, oh, yeah. are talking about how January 6th was such a attack on our democracy, right. our, our sacred institutions. Yeah. And by the way, that is not to say that I supported what anybody was doing oh, in terms no, of breaking no. property and stuff like that on January 6th. Yeah. Prosecute those people. But the hypocrisy of these people on the left who point to January 6th 
and say this is an attack on our institutions, an attack on our democracy. This is horrific. We need to do all these investigations and we need to, you know, throw the book at these people are the same people that are now out there like some of them threatening. I mean, we had a guy who, who wanted to kill a Supreme Court justice. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's so like spare me your your fake moral outrage over the fact that you think that you, you know what you did? You lost a court case and you want to burn the country down because yeah. of it. Well, because for some of these, for some of these people, and I'm not, I'm not going to paint every Democrat with this brush, but it, what it strikes me as is that the left has a very powerful element within it that will, will talk a good game about democracy or institutions if it's serving their purpose, if it's giving some sort of like thin moral veneer to what it is they want to do, yep. but ultimately what they want is power and they want their end states to be achieved. And insofar as those institutions help with it, they're totally supportive. Sure. And the moment they stand in the way, it's burn it down. To that point, I've got one more segment that I found in the opinion itself that yeah. I think is really drives home just how self-destructive that mentality is from the left. Mm -hmm. it, it, this is... It's honestly actually quite funny. This is a direct quote again. Before us now is one side. So, so the, the, before this segment, by the way, this is page 12 now. Um, before this segment, the court was giving some some overview as to the background behind what led to this case, right? They were talking about this law in Mississippi, right? And, and, and describing the process through which this was making its way to the court itself, right? And so I'm going to pick up and say, before us now is one such state law. The state of Mississippi asks us to uphold the constitutionality of a law that generally prohibits an abortion after the 15th week of pregnancy, several weeks before the point at which the fetus is now regarded as viable outside the womb. In defending this law, the state's primary argument is that we should consider um, is that we should reconsider and overrule Roe and Casey and once again allow each state to regulate abortion as its citizens wish. On the other side, the respondents and the solicitor general, uh, Biden appointee, um, ask us asks us um, to reaffirm Roe and Casey, and they, con um, and they contend that the Mississippi state law cannot stand if we do so. Allowing Mississippi to prohibit abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy, they argue, quote, would be no different than overruling Casey and Roe entirely, end quote. We contend that, quote, this is also from the yeah. defendants, we contend that, quote, no half measures, end quote, are available, and that they must either reaffirm, um, either reaffirm or overrule Roe and Casey, period. Next paragraph. We hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled. <laughs> the Constitution makes no reference to abortion, and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional protection, including the one in which the defenders of Roe and Casey now chiefly rely, the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. That provision has been held to guarantee some rights are not mentioned in the Constitution, but any such right must be, quote, deeply rooted in this nation's history and tradition and, quote, implicit in the con um, concept of ordered liberty. And that's actually a reference to another court case, Washington versus um, Glucksburg in 1997. So they were actually citing another court ruling that was dealing with implicit rights that aren't explicitly written into the Constitution. I find it so ironic, you know, like with all the legal jargon aside, yeah. I find it so ironic that the left went into this case and said, you must strike down the Mississippi law. We will accept no half measures. If you uphold the law, it is the equivalent of you striking down Roe and Casey. And the court's response was, okay, by your own logic, we will be striking down yeah. Roe Bye -bye. and Casey. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, and, and again, they were horribly determined um, decisions. So let, let's go ahead and talk about some of the... Um, 
some of the responses sure. that have come out from R- this. Real quick before we do that, I have a quick question for you. So what should we be looking towards next in terms of you know battles in the Your state? state legislatures? Yeah, so so again, some states have, have already had things that were, for lack of a better term, triggered by the overturn of Roe v. Wade. So they already had laws that went in place. But if, if, you were, if you're you know pro-life, then your next step is the state legislatures, right? So any okay. state that hasn't done something, you now have a lot of work to do at the state level in order to get the sort of abortion policy that you, you want in place. Um, you know, Governor Yunkin here in Virginia has already said that, you know, he understands it's a difficult issue. He's a pro-life governor. Um, he, he wants to see some consensus around a particular approach. And the consensus he's talked about is based on pain capable. Okay. And so his approach is to essentially say that, well, look, we may disagree on a lot of these other categories, but can we at least agree that when the baby can actually feel itself being aborted, that's too much. Yeah. And there's no question that we can legally do that now. No. So we can do that. And the question will be is what will the left come and say in response to that? So again, there's, there's a lot of other, I mean, I am, I don't think anybody is questioning where I stand on the issue of abortion. Yeah. I think at the, at the moment of, of fertilization of that egg, what you actually have is a, is a human being. And, And let me, before we get to this, yeah. let me explain this because I do think this is important because people will ask me, they know I'm a very liberty-oriented guy. And I've had libertarians say, you know, you say that you're, you're for liberty and the government shouldn't be involved in your individual decisions. You know, so how can you be pro-life? Or how can you be, sometimes the word, anti-choice? I'm like, well, I'm not anti-choice. I think you have all kinds of choices that you make, um, that two people make prior to getting pregnant. Now, obviously, we can understand that somebody that was a, a victim of rape they didn't choose to be in that situation. But let's let's face it, like 98% of abortions that take place in this country result because two people made a conscious decision to engage in a voluntary activity that they knew could bring about the ultimate dependency of another human being upon the woman's person for a certain period of time. Right? They knew it. They knew, hey, we we're gonna have sex, and if we do, that could lead to a pregnancy, and we understand that, and we're gonna do it. Anyway, and then the pregnancy occurs and either the woman wants to have an abortion or the father pressures the woman to have an abortion, which often happens. Yeah. Um, or the parents, you know, pressure an abortion. And so now you, you have essentially, regardless of what else anybody wants to say, you have an abortion of convenience because nobody was confused about this potentially happening and they chose to do it. So in that case, I'm like, no, no, no. There was all sorts of voluntary choices that went into this decision before you got to the point where it's, are we going to choose on whether or not to end the pregnancy? So that's, that's the first argument is that this is not a question of me infringing on someone else's rights. This is a question of the child having their most basic fundamental human rights now snuffed out forever Mm -hmm. and for, for good for all time because somebody engaged in an, an action that they knew could bring about the result and just didn't care. The second part is, and this is this was an argument that was made in 73. It's this whole clump of cells argument. First of all, if you're still making the clump of cells argument, you are apparently behind uh, on I don't know how much scientific research that we have had between 49 1973 years. and today. <laughs> yeah. Right? If you're still making that argument, it, it is it is one of the most idiotic arguments that you can make. And I, and I saw one person, they're like, it's just a clump of cells. Like, you're just a clump of cells. You know what? That is, that is a technically true state. If you, want to, if you want to reduce everything to a clump of cells, you could do it for anything. Everyone sitting at this table is a clump of cells. I would argue that you're more than that. And so here's the thing that you have. There's three categories you have to look at when we're looking at whether or not something is entitled to basic human rights. 
right? Basic human rights. The first thing you look at is, is what we're talking about living or dead. This cup of coffee, right? This is dead. This is not alive. Not according to panpsychism. This is, <laughs> this is not alive. <laughs> this, this coffee mug is not alive. How do we know that? Well, because it doesn't meet any of the characteristics that we associate with life. So I'll read some of those off. Those things can be um, order, sensitivity and responses to environment, reproduction, adaptation, growth, development of homeostasis, energy processing, you know, the ability to you know, evolve and adapt, right? So when we look at those things, we, we use those to distinguish between a living object and an, or a living entity and a non-living entity. At the moment of fertilization, you meet the sufficient criteria to be distinguished between a living entity and a non-living entity. There's no question about that. No nobody. DNA. You have nobody. all the DNA that's needed for... Well, well, wait, wait. Don't get ahead of me. Don't get ahead of me. This okay. is important. The first one is, what's the characteristic for a living entity? That's the first criteria you have to answer. The second criteria you have to answer is, is it a human? Because, obviously, we don't convey the same rights to a cow or a dog or a cat that we do to a human being. So the second question that we have at the moment of fertilization is, is this a human life? We already know it's living. Next question is, is it human? Okay, well, there's a number of characteristics that we could use to distinguish between that. Is that where the DNA comes in? That is where the DNA comes in. When you start looking at deoxyribonucleic acid, DNA, right, at the moment of fertilization, you have all of it. You have all of your DNA. You can only be a human being. There is no possibility whatsoever that you are going to grow, adapt, or evolve into anything but a human being. That's At that point, that is what you are. You're not going to change. You're not all of this going to be, oh, crap, month three, it's a frog. How did this well, happen? That's actually a very unwoke statement of you, but... <laughs> We'll, we'll skip over that. Did you just assume my species? Yeah, I just assumed your species. <laughs> so, so, and again, here's the crazy part. Before we had DNA, does that mean we didn't know what a human was? No, of course we knew what a human was yeah. because of the characteristics associated with something. Yeah. That is how logically, philosophically, and scientifically we have always distinguished between a duck versus a cat versus a person versus a cow, right? There are certain unique characteristics that only present themselves within certain species. But when we had DNA and now we're actually mapping the entire human genome, right now we know for sure that, oh yeah, there's, it's impossible. So when do you become human? Moment of fertilization, because that's the point where you have human DNA from the father and the mother coming together to form that unique human individual, right? So that's, that's the second part. The third component with respect to rights or human rights in general has to do with the whole idea of innocence versus guilt. So I know people that will concede, yes, I agree, because the scientific evidence is overwhelming. I agree that that entity in the womb is a human life. However, that human life is now imposing itself on the mother. And therefore, the mother is not so much aborting the child as the mother is protecting her own bodily autonomy and removing the child from the situation because that child has no right to live off the body of the woman. Right. So that's the argument they're making. They've conceded now. They've conceded it's a human child. They just don't think as this is where the whole legal question comes in of first cause. So if you come up and punch me in the face and I hit you back in order to defend myself, we don't look at those two actions equally. One was an aggressive action. The other was a defensive action. And we, we have to look at these things. To, to suggest that both actions were equally the same is ridiculous and absurd. It would make no sense in a legal case. If it did, the person that's trying to murder you would have the same legal defense as the person using violence to defend themselves. So the question that we have once again when we're talking about a child in the womb 
is did the child put themselves there against the actions of the two people that engaged in the sexual act? No. <laughs> the child had no, no say with respect to what happened to them in that situation. Zero say, none. So how could the child be guilty of anything? resembling a crime or an infringement on somebody else's rights. I think you're, I, I, I think I get where you're going and I think those are all strong arguments, but none of them really address. I think the most common argument that the left makes, which is simply, I want to do what I want to do. Okay. Yeah. Wait, well, I'm that's gonna, because their argument has evolved. But, but that's, that, this that's, is where it started. Though. But that's the thing that we've got to start with, right? There, there is somebody that will say, I want to do what I want to do and I should be able to do it. But that is so absurd on its face that we can, we can attack that easily. I want to get to this point of there, there are people that understand that, no, you don't get to do whatever you want when it hurts somebody else. Most people understand that on a, on a basic human level. So they have to come up with some sort of reasoning to justify why abortion is different. And the three most common arguments is it, it's, uh, it, it's just a clump of cells. Or, okay, I recognize this, or the two most common arguments, it's either just a clump of cells, so it's not really human, so I'm not killing a human, so it's not immoral. Mm -hmm. Or they're making the argument that, well, it is human, but it's it's infringing upon my upon rights. my rights. And, and I yeah. have the ability to defend myself mm -hmm. against this parasitic entity. Yeah. Right? And what, these, what I just explained demonstrates how neither one of those arguments can possibly be valid. Because if they are valid... Right then, then it causes a whole bunch of other problems. So if it is, if it is true that this is a living human being, and we've demonstrated that it is, the question is: is are they are they not entitled to certain basic human rights? And if your answer is no, well, then why are you entitled to basic human rights? So so if they want to if they want to if they can see all those arguments and still say, well, I just still want to do it. Yeah. Well, then here's my question: What's the limiting principle? This is the question we ask with everything. What is the limiting principle? Which is to say that we generally agree that you can do whatever you want with your body. At least I generally do. You can do whatever you want with your body provided that you don't infringe on the rights and liberties of somebody else. Because society can't exist in a, in a, in a sphere or in an in a area where I, I have every legal right to come over and beat the crap out of you and take your stuff if I feel like it or to murder you if I feel like it. We, we understand that's not just. You know, um, so why is it okay in this situation? You know what I'm reminded of based on what you just said? It's a quote that you have asked me to give you many times. Yeah. Um, if we accept the proposition that one person can be sacrificed for the happiness of the many, it will soon be demonstrated that two or three or more could also be sacrificed for the happiness of the many. Little by little, we will find reasons for sacrificing the many for the happiness of the many. And we will think it was a bargain. Yeah. And that's what that is we're a at. quote from the historian uh, um, uh, Jules Michelet, uh, who was a French historian writing about, ironically, of all things, the French Revolution, which yeah. we just did a Y minute on. Yeah, but um, I, even though that, that's, that's totally separated, I feel like those words can very much be applied to the abortion debate because yeah. as you just demonstrated on a scientific ground, it's completely baseless. On a philosophical ground, Rooted, rooted in, in philosophy and history and, and, and the actual legal arguments of what defines a, a human being and do human beings deserve rights at certain points in their lives? And if so, does that apply in this case? It's also completely baseless. So the only argument that they have left is that argument that I just brought up, the I, I want to argument. I want to, yeah. Which is increasingly the argument that, that in, in popular culture, and I know that we're about to get to this, in popular culture, that is basically, I mean, the arguments now that we're seeing and that we're about to be talking about are just some of the most intellectually bankrupt arguments you can think of. As we said at the beginning of this podcast, 
the same people that two years ago were telling us we care about our institutions and this is about protecting democracy are calling for tearing down the Supreme Court and overruling the democratic will of people in states like Arkansas, Mississippi, yep. Wyoming, Texas, etc., simply so that way they can do what they want to do while admitting that what they want to do is kill an innocent human being. Yeah. Well, and this is the one, so we got, we got it up now, right? Okay. Yep. So yeah. Um, Nadia Hussein, a mother from New Jersey said the worst racism issue in this country is going to be exacerbated by taking away abortion care. And this is what she said. I don't want to see black people suffer, brown people suffer, poor people suffer, and just continue cycles of poverty. I don't want to see that, but unfortunately, if Roe v. Wade falls, that's what's going to happen. And basically what she just did is use Margaret Sanger's talking points. Wow. She doesn't Explain want... Explain that a little bit more. Yeah. Because I think there's so many people, even in the conservative movement... That, no idea and, and I, by the way, is. I apologize for interrupting, but the reason I, I said that is because I, I think there's so many people in the conservative movement that don't know who Margaret Sanger is or people that are pro-life that might not know who she is. or So, like, go into detail okay, what you You should mean by know that. who Margaret Sanger is because she is the grandmother of Planned Parenthood. Mm -hmm. um, she, is, she was heavily involved in eugenics back in her day, um, and her entire uh, worldview was centered around using people for breeding and breeding people to have better humans, just like you would breed racehorses or things like that. And, and so, and, and just and so what just that so meant know, is that's to, not hyperbole. She actually said what you're saying. She did. And what that meant to her is to exterminate people that they viewed she and her people, whoever they all were, uh, people that they viewed as the weeds of society, uh, the, the, the people that were less valuable to society. And she was very clear that um, she was very, very racist. She hated Jewish people and she hated black people. And their point was to exterminate the black population and, and also the Jewish population and anybody who had any type of special needs. And so um, it, it centered on that. So what this woman is saying is that, she doesn't want to see black people suffer, so let's kill them. She doesn't want to see brown people suffer, so let's kill them. She want, doesn't want to see poor people suffer, so let's kill them. We don't want to see cycles of poverty, so let's just kill them all. Mm -hmm. You know, that is what she means, and she can't hide from that. She's, she said it. And anybody that doesn't see that for what it is has got blinders on. I am sorry, but there is a reason why Planned Parenthood puts puts a huge number of its uh, abortion clinics in black neighborhoods. It's yeah. a plurality. Plurality is in minority neighborhoods. That is where they put, in fact, for a while there, there was a, a billboard that went out that infuriated the left, but because it was true. And it said the most dangerous place in New York City for a young black child is in the womb. And make because no mistake. Because of where Planned Parenthood put make, their Make no clinics. mistake. This isn't a referendum on the people who have, have been victimized by this. This is an organization who is actively targeting and actively indoctrinating and actively using propaganda in order to accomplish that goal that she set out so long ago. Mm -hmm. And they have continued and continued. And it is very frustrating to see a billion dollar industry which profits off of women in crisis. Yep. They profit off of your pain and your, your fear. And they profit 
in order, they profit by telling you that you have no choice, yeah. that you can't go to school, you can't dig out of any of this if you have a child. Yeah. Speaking of that, do we, I want you to continue, Tina, but are, were we going to discuss the uh, statement that was put out from Michelle, Michelle Obama? Obama? Yeah. That's probably because a good time. What to you just said really reminded me of what she just wrote, like, me, what, 30 minutes let ago? Let me read or? it right here. In the, you know, we obviously don't think super highly of Michelle Obama, but or what she puts out online. But this post here, I feel, is the, really the leading social media post amongst the left right now. So I wanted to reference this, and I want to focus on the last paragraph of the first image in this post. She says, yes, I am heartbroken for the teenage girl full of zest and promise who won't be able to finish school or live the life that she wants because her state controls her reproductive decisions. And I was reading this, and I'm like, you're telling her that she's she can't, that she's incapable, yeah. that she doesn't have any other choice. But that's just not true. And, you know, I think about the the young girls who are pregnant right now in an unexpected situation and read this and see Michelle Obama, you know, maybe confirming something that her, you know, the guy she slept with is telling her to do. Yeah. Like, that's a terrible situation to be in. Um, you know, and when I worked at Students for Life, we would work with, you know, young women on college campuses who were in unexpected pregnancies. And she would oftentimes have that guy that she got pregnant with telling her that, oh, I'll pay for the abortion. Or, you know, her friends saying that your life is going to be ruined and you have no future. And I think that's one of the worst things that you can do in that situation. I, I think it's really sad. Sometimes it's even more shallow than that. I, I had a, a, a friend way back when I was a teenager who um, got pregnant young and had an abortion. Do you want to know her real reasoning for having that abortion? It wasn't that she wasn't going to be able to do all of these things. She didn't want the marks on her body. Mm -hmm. Her body was so important to her that she did not want stretch marks. She didn't want a baby destroying her body. And so, I mean... We can't put everybody in in the same category. Some people just make narcissistic decisions, but a, a huge number of these people are being are being pushed into this, mm -hmm. told they have no choice, and um, and then ultimately, I mean, some they fear telling their parents or they fear uh, coming out and and showing that what they did, um, and so it's it's very it's very frustrating to me that we constantly have to have this argument over whether or not it's okay to kill babies. Mm -hmm. It's ultimately, I'm just going, wow, I am not surprised. I mean, I am not surprised that the left has gone so violent at this point. They're just losing their minds. It's because they subscribe to an ideology of death. They believe it's okay to kill innocent unborn babies i well I, I think what it really comes down to is they want a life without consequences they want to be able to sleep with whoever they want without consequence i, I think true but there are some women that have made statements um saying you know i'm really uh, who was it Le, uh, lena dunham lena dunham saying lamenting the fact that she had not been pregnant yet so that she couldn't experience an, an, an abortion yeah. so there is a very sick mindset here well, I, I, and 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 what I want to know is why these people can't understand why this this worldview that they hold 
is nurturing and upbringing a generation of kids who think it's okay to shoot up schools. They're telling them it's okay. The only difference is what method is used and how old the children are. When, and people get upset when people get upset whenever these sort of comparisons are made. And, and it's interesting because it's the same people on the left that lo- constantly want to talk about underlying causes, right? Root causes. Like how did this, how did this person get to the situation where they, they determined that this was an appropriate course of action? And I, I want, I just simply want to know why is it, why is it okay or, or why is it not okay to suggest that when you devalue human life, that's in, in one area that has the ability to manifest itself in other areas. Like what, what is, what is wrong? So Malthus, because this is an important point I want to bring up when, when Margaret Sanger was saying all this stuff about eugenics and, and, you know, comparing certain people to human weeds because they weren't as economically productive or they didn't meet with her standards for what a human being should look like. Right. That was Margaret Sanger. That was not some right wing conservative. That was progress. That was considered progressive. Eugenics was considered a progressive ideology. And if you, if you look back before that, when you look at Malthus, which is one of the left's like favorite social theorists and, and economists, Malthus said that we are overpopulating the world. He and said the, this in the 1800s. In the 1800s, in the 1800s. And one of the things that he offered up as a solution to this was he thought we should put poor tenements next to malarial swamps because he, he thought it was a benefit to society as a whole, and that we would have a stronger, more flourishing, more more prosperous society if certain people just died. And, and, that, and that this was a matter of saving humanity in the future. Now, interestingly enough, the people that subscribe to this theory are never the ones that are supposed to die, right? It's always somebody else. It's always somebody else from a different group that has now been dehumanized. But as Malthus was explaining this in the 1800s, this greatly influenced the eugenicist movement in the early 20th century and this whole idea of very select human breeding, which really manifested itself within Nazism. I was going to say it found its culmination. It found its culmination in, in Nazi Nazism, Germany. which believed in the whole concept of the, of the Ubermensch, right? the, the, the Superman mm-hmm. that was going to be created. Um, and again, Hitler was a huge collectivist. He didn't see himself as you know some sort of... Uh, he, he saw himself as a as a collectivist, as someone that was basically carrying out the, these logical conclusions of eugenics or eugenics. And and I'm watching similar conversations be had. And and again, people will ask, well, how could you possibly say that this leads to that? If you're devaluing human life as a part of your policy, as a part of your overall argument with respect to humanity, and that manifests itself in a way that you didn't intend. Yeah. I'm sorry, you don't get to be shocked. That point, by the way, is the most important point because how many times does the left explicitly accuse anybody on the right of being a Nazi? When we make these comparisons, we're not saying people that disagree with us are Nazis. That's what the left does. People who don't agree with me, they're literally Hitler. What we're saying is, is that please, please just use some critical thinking and think through what you are arguing. The logical conclusion of what you are arguing is in line with these historical examples. There's a big difference there. That it's not saying you are literally Hitler. What we're saying is, is that your arguments are intellectually, historically, philosophically, legally, and morally incorrect. Yeah. And here's why. Yeah. And it's not like some of these people look at this like, oh, this is this new idea I had. No, it isn't. Mm-mm. It's not a new idea. This has been going on for a long time. I think we have, are we going to bring up some of the direct quotes from Sanger? Mm-hmm. We are, yeah. Um, 
So yeah, here's this quote from Margaret Sanger. How are we to breed a race of human thoroughbreds unless we follow the same plan? We must make this country into a garden of children instead of a disorderly backlot overrun with human weeds. This is Margaret Sanger. This, this is one of like the absolute heroes of the progressive movement. And the same people that are talking about women's health care are talking about this woman. Here's a here's a headline. Oh Sanger delivers burning speech. Local KKK gals hang on every word. Oh my gosh. By right? the way, they, they, for, for those at home, this was about 100 years ago, give or take. It was yeah. in the early 1900s. But this woman, this woman is who you are siding with right yeah. now. This These are her ideas. That You are a result of her work. Well, and, and, and again, they want to say that, well, we can we can separate, right? That, that's always the deal. Like, well, we can separate this person who had some bad ideas in other areas, but we support what she did in these. Okay, well, but no, but everything that she did, the reason why she yeah, supported all this. Except that doesn't apply the to reason, anybody else. The reason why she set up Planned Parenthood, the reason why she did all of it was rooted in a certain philosophy of, of humankind and how we should interact with humankind and what we should be doing. And so, no, I'm, I'm sorry, you, you don't get to completely separate this and say that the two aren't connected in any way. Um, and, and, and again, it manifests itself in someone like Michelle Obama saying, My, I am heartbroken for the girl that is not going to be able to do X, Y, or Z. Why can't she do it anymore, Michelle? My mother had to drop out of college to have me. She did, <laughs> she did not see me coming. And she could not be more proud of you today. But when I was there... She also recognized that I was a human being and I was entitled to protection. That first level of protection came from the people that brought me into this world. And bringing me into this world didn't, didn't happen in a delivering room. It happened when I was in the womb. It happened when all of us were in the womb. And how dare anyone tell us we're not allowed to talk about it. Because while I, we might not all have the same experience as the woman that finds themselves in the situation, I can tell you what all of us have in common. We were once in the womb. I remember the Reagan quote. I find it very ironic that those who, you know, support abortion, every single one of them has happened to have been born. Um, yeah. it, it, it's a really – I what I find so fascinating about this whole discussion is, is that there is this expectation that there's going to be political consequences for it, that the right is going to suffer for it. I don't think the left understands that – for us conservatives, this is not about an election. Yeah. No. I will sacrifice a dozen congressional seats in order to make this happen. And I know there's so many other people on the right that, that we don't care about the November elections. To in, in terms of the importance scale, the November elections are down here, and protecting innocent human life is through the ceiling in this room right now. Well, let, let me. I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way: for every Republican out there now that is lamenting that this decision, which will absolutely save lives, could potentially cost them a few points in their election cycle, I hope you lose. I hope you lose and then go back and join whatever party is a better reflection of your values. Because the whole reason why me or other people got involved in politics in the first place was not so that we could sit around with our colleagues and talk about how important we were. It was to actually defend the people that couldn't defend themselves in a meaningful way. And we've achieved it on some level right now. There's a lot more work to be done, but we've achieved it on some level. And if you think that achieving that wasn't worth it because it might make it a little bit more uncomfortable with you from, for some of your constituents or potential voters, I hope you lose. 
I hope you lose. And I hope you get replaced with someone that actually believes in why we're here and why we're doing what we're doing. Because this, <laughs> this comment solidifies it for me in a way that nothing else possibly could. And this comes from someone that is a really good friend of Tina's and mine. This is my best friend, Susie, and she is an abortion survivor. So this is what she posted today. She goes, my mind is like exploding. She goes, Roe v. Wade is gone at the federal level on Josie's birthday, four days before my birthday. Josie's her daughter. If my mother's abortion with me had succeeded, I wouldn't be celebrating my beautiful, talented daughter's 17th birthday. My mind is blown. This is happening. It's really, really happening. <clears throat> she told me she went outside and yelled it outside. Her neighbors probably thought she was crazy, but she was so happy. And the thing is, is that no one thinks about this side. Mm -mm. There are so many abortion survivors, mm -hmm. and this is a day of victory for them because this, this is vindication that, that they weren't meant to be wiped away. And when you wipe away a human life, you wipe away everyone who comes after them. You wipe away an entire lineage. And she's got two daughters that wouldn't be here if her mother had been successful. And it, it just blows my mind because I've actually seen people argue with her that her mom should have been able to go ahead and, and finish her off. Like with a straight face, we'll say that to her. Who does that? How in the world is one person's fake right over their body trump another person's actual life? Like, just wipe it away. How can you identify with that? How can you actually l look yourself in the mirror and feel like a good person if you think that's okay? Well, I think that yeah. there's been... The bottom line is that there's been a lot of money spent and a lot of cultural capital spent in order to try to convince an entire generation of young women that this is essential to their core being and their control over their own bodies and destiny. And young men. And young men. Well, and, and it's a, way a different, out for a, men. different a, a different and, message. And to that but, point, to that point, though, I think there's a lot of a, a, I see a lot of these young men out there carrying around these pro-abortion signs like they're some sort of feminist. No, what you are is a licentious piece of crap that wants to be able to have fun, use her body the way that you want in order to pleasure yourself. And when there's the natural consequences that arise out of that decision, you want to be able to look at her and say, hey, your choice. Really? Just her choice, huh? Just her choice, a choice that she's going to make one way or another and live with that decision for the rest of her life. This idea that if she has the abortion, she doesn't have to live with that choice. Oh, no, she does. She does. And, and statistics show over and over and over again that the most influential person with respect to whether or not a woman decides to keep the baby is the father. And it is amazing to me that we have a generation of boys masquerading as men that have convinced themselves that they're somehow being noble by pushing a woman into that situation and then treating it as if he's just supporting her. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're supporting your own lust at the expense of her. That's what they tell you. That, that's what they tell themselves to make them feel better. And speaking of making yourself feel better, you know the, the, the best example I can think of to totally disprove the left's argument? We were talking about this, this before in this episode with, you know, the left made one argument that, that fell apart. They made another argument that fell apart. And, and ultimately, the only thing that they can rest upon is, I want to do this because I want to do this. 
And the most powerful argument that they have that so many people buy into, people that aren't hardcore leftists, but but just, you know, they want to find a happy middle ground is the whole my body, my choice thing. Mm-hmm. But you know how I know that's a load of crap? Because the same people that will make the my body, my choice thing were the same people telling you, you don't have a choice when it comes to the COVID vaccine. Yeah, You don't have a choice over your kids when it comes to the COVID vaccine. You want to go somewhere, you have to do it. You want to hold a job, you have to do it. You want to transport logs across state lines, Joe Biden says you have to do it. The same people, almost almost 100% overlap there. The same people that are out there today holding up the bands off my body sign in front of the Supreme Court, shouting for the whole institution to be burned to the ground, were the same people that six months ago wanted to throw people in prison or put fines on them because they didn't want to inject something into their body. So please spare me, again, the fake moral outrage. You don't actually care about personal autonomy. What you want to do is you just want to do what you want to do. You have an end state. That's all that matters. The means justify the ends. The left has an end state. They want to be able to make it legal for children to be killed in the womb. And anything that can get them to that point, any argument, any legal precedent, any court ruling, any law, anything, they will support that. Until it, it contradicts them, and then they'll ignore it when it comes to another issue where, again, they have a legal, they have a, an end state they want to impose on people. And if those two things are conflicting with one another, it's fine. They'll just go through cognitive dissonance and pretend it doesn't exist. This is a huge win. It, yeah. it, it is a massive, massive win, but I think it's only the start of a new battle. No, it is. Absolutely. On the state level, go ahead. So this is something that I, I really want people to understand. Because um, you're right. It's, it's a huge win at the federal level. It creates new fights at the state level. But the, the biggest battle that we have going on right now is not what the legal code will say. Yes. That is, a, that is a very important and necessary component. The biggest battle is the mindset which tells people that this is good or noble or just or appropriate. Our goal is not just to outlaw abortion, but to make America such a place where abortion is unthinkable. Yeah. Where I, I want... I want when somebody brings up the concept of abortion, I want them to have the same visceral response as if somebody was introducing a new concept of slavery to them. Mm -hmm. The idea that how could you ever think it was okay to own another person? How could you ever think it was okay to kill another human being for no other reason than you wanted to? You You didn't like the consequences associated with your actions And so in order to avoid those consequences, another human being had to die. There is no getting around that scientifically, philosophically, or morally. There is no getting around it. And as soon as we can get people to understand that, that this isn't my position, Mm -hmm. this is the most accurate reflection of reality that we have. And as soon as people adopt that, that is going to be when we can honestly look at this and say, we've won. I think it really starts with men, these young boys who you're talking about, stepping up and understanding the reality of their situation uh, and being men. I, I think it's a, it, it, it's a, it's a hard issue. Uh, I mean, ultimately, if, if you believe, and I do, um, and, and, and people, always, people always suggest that your position on abortion is just an extension of your religious beliefs. Well, one, that's that's not, not true. always true. No. But there's also nothing wrong with it being true if it's true. Mm-hmm. 
All right, if you honestly see people as being beautifully and wonderfully created in the image of God and therefore have inherent worth, which cannot be conveyed upon them based off of the feelings of somebody else or a state institution, your value is not determined what the majority or what the people in power says it is. You have inherent worth because God says so, period, the end. And that is to be respected. And if you want to live in a world where that's not the case, well, your only other option is your life has value provided that the majority or the people with the guns says it does. And if that's what you want, not a society I want to live in. Because I don't want my value to be arbitrary. I don't want the value of the people I love. I don't want the value of my children. I don't want the value of a complete stranger I will never meet in my life to be determined based off the ability of someone else to end it because they decided. And that's what this argument is ultimately about. That is also what the state of the world was for 95% of human history. It really wasn't until the, and this is a whole other discussion for another day, but it really wasn't until the advent of Christianity combined with the reforms that came out of, you know, things like the Enlightenment um, as well, and, and th 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 that's a whole other discussion, but, but it really wasn't until just a couple hundred years ago that we started respecting people as a commodity with value rather than just simply another mouth that needed to be fed. Well, and, and not even a commodity. Uh, not a commodity, but, but a, a, a something that, that human be for most of human history, human beings were considered a tool for the ruling elite and a, a, a at best, and a mouth to feed at worst. And it, it's kind of a miracle that we don't live in that system. Well, we do in some ways, but we've we've started to emerge out of that dark age mentality that human beings are not a a tool and they're not just a mouth to feed. They they carry inherent value and they can bring things to the world. And that is the thing that mo it's so funny that the left just thinks that we just want to oppress women. Half of the pro life movement are women. Over. A majority oh, I, of those I think, who are, I think it's closer to 90%. Bill, the Bill most pro-life people I know in my life are women. Bill Maher came onto his show. Bill Maher, of all people, came onto his show and he goes, you know, there's some things that have been revealed through this whole debate that I never knew that I really should have known. And he was talking to a, a person on the show and he goes, for instance, I would had no idea that we had the most open abortion laws in the world with the possible exceptions of China and North Korea. Like every single European country has more restrictive abortion laws than we do. I had no idea. And then he goes, I had no idea that the majority of the pro-life movement are women. They, they all thought it was religious white guys. And, and some of these facts are finally coming to bear because the discussion has been so prominent lately. Mm -hmm. But I, I, just, I just want people to understand. I want my colleagues to understand in, in politics. We, we cannot view this. We, we, we really cannot view this as just another political position. Mm -hmm. This isn't a question about marginal tax rates or transportation spending. This is human life. This goes down to the fundamental nature of humanity. It's who we are. It's and if we mm -hmm. can't, if we can't at least agree on some level that you don't destroy innocent human life, then everything else is up for grabs in a way that I don't think the left truly understands. Or maybe they do, and that would be even more terrifying. I want to highlight one thing just really quick. My my friend Susie that we talked about just a, a few minutes ago, um, abortion survivor, uh, she she mentioned to me that she was just so afraid that they would change their mind. 
when that was leaked and then and then there were death threats and there was somebody that wanted to kill Kavanaugh and was, you know, caught outside his home and uh, just so much force being directed at these justices. Um, and she was so terrified that they would change their mind. That's what and the they, left wanted. And they didn't. And they didn't. The, I have to say I've never seen a decision that carried this much weight in my lifetime where this very well could have been these justices putting their life on the line for for the decision because we know this administration is not going to protect our justices because they don't agree with them. He's already coming out now saying that this this was a catastrophic mistake and they're talking about burning down the Supreme Court. So no, this administration is not going to protect those justices. And they knew it. They knew it and they still released this and that is because they knew it was the right thing to do. They knew that it was the constitutional decision. And human life sometimes requires the willingness to put your own life down for it in order to protect it. And I want I want my legislators to have the courage that our justices just had. Yes. I am sick and tired of people being able to kill things in committee or, or quietly kill things and then turn around and be able to say that they're 100% pro-life. Mm -hmm. We mm -hmm. see you. you know the biggest and we know what you are. You're a coward. And I am done with cowards in this, in, in this legislature in Virginia and federally. Do what you say you're going to do. I think we're going to close on that point. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, again, thank you for everyone. I, I mean, this is we don't typically do Friday episodes. Friday episodes, but we we felt it was important to do this yeah. one, and I and I totally we'll, agree that it was the right thing to do. We'll and, be traveling Tuesday, so our yeah. next episode will be this coming Thursday. We've, yeah, yep. but we wanted to get this one out for you once again. Thank you very much for joining us on this episode of Making the Argument. If you have any questions about some of the arguments that we made, some points, if you have some other points that you would like to make that we didn't make here today, please leave that on our We'd Facebook. Leave that on our. Uh, Leave that on our social media. Leave that on our YouTube channel. We'd love to hear them. Once again, thank you very much for joining us. And we'll see you next episode. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to goodranchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, goodranchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to goodranchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.